that we come to you uh, of no merit of our own. We come to you not because we deserve anything, not because we have won favor with you or are trying to earn favor with you. We, we come to you because you are the God of the universe and you have chosen that you want to be in relationship with us. You've, you've made it plain through your son that you, you, you want to restore us back to yourself. And so we come to you uh, based on the righteousness of Christ Jesus. We come, uh, nothing in our hands we bring, but simply to your cross we cling. We come, even as the song continues to say, naked we come to thee for dress. Helpless, we look to you for grace. And so we ask by your Spirit's power and by your word that you would give us more grace today. And we, we need more grace. We need more mercy. We need more of your kindness, your, your loving kindness that is better than life. And so we're coming to you, our great Father, and asking you that you would show us more of that by showing us Jesus Christ from your word. It's true, we don't always see it, but he is altogether lovely, altogether beautiful, altogether true, and altogether good. And so we're asking that you would expand our knowledge of him. We might experience you more, we, you might get more glory and, and, and we might have uh, more knowledge of you that we, that we can live our life, that we can share this with others. God, we, we thank you for what you've done among us, even in these past two years. You have not forsaken us. You, you have kept the covenant promise that I will be your God and you will be my people. Don't fear Neither be afraid. I will never leave you or forsake you. And, and so you have not done that. You have kept us by your word and by your power. You have let your Holy Spirit abide with us. So we give you thanks. We look to you, Father, to help us in our time of need. That we have much need as individuals, but also as a corporate people. And, and, and we look to you, God. How, I pray that you would help us as the God of all eternity and grace and life. Would you keep us uh, bound in love by your spirit? I, I pray that you would keep at bay any division that would come in and seek to destroy us. I, I pray that you would keep at bay any any, any, any party spirit that would, would, would seek to, to polarize us from who we really are in Christ Jesus. We are one in you. We are not two. We are two that have been made one. So I pray that you would make us one by your love. God, we ask that the only political view that we hold in common is that Jesus is king and that he reigns over everything. And, and we, can, we can put up with all kinds of differing opinions and, and views about this world, and, but 
this is the one thing that we must hold dear, that Jesus is Savior and Lord. Lord over the whole cosmos, every square inch. And we ask that you would invade into our lives and take up ownership and rulership every square inch of our lives. We, we're asking that because we know that it's good for us. We know it's good for the world. So we pray that you would do that. We pray that as we gather together, you would help us put Christ on display. May he be magnified. And we thank you, God, that we're not the only ones doing that. The branch is not the only gathering of people that are, that are about the gospel in this city. And so we pray that you would please help our gospel partners. We thank you for Pioneer Church in Southtown and, and, and Southside Church. And God, we pray that you would bless them by revealing yourself to them through your word. I pray that you would help them unite around the gospel and it would inform every activity that they do. God, I pray that your word would put Jesus on display as Jeremy preaches and as they get into the community to, to make you known there in Southtown and here in Corvallis. And God, we want to cheer them on. We, we want them to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that your name is made great here. God, we also pray for those who have sent us out. Thank you for Grant Avenue Baptist. And we ask that you're, by your Holy Spirit, you would help them, give them grace to be gospel-centered, Christ-centered, that there is no king but Jesus, and he rules there at Grand Avenue Baptist. And I pray that you would help them take that word out to our friends and neighbors. Give them success, oh God. This is about your kingdom. You've taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. God, all over the place. So we pray that you do it. And we pray, as God, as we're not just partnering here in Corvallis, we're, we're asking that you would, you would do this everywhere. We thank you for our, our brothers and sisters at Canby Christian Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that they would be more united and, and more committed to your gospel today than they were last year. God, would you, would you make them about making your name famous? So help Aaron Adami as he preaches your word. Give him clarity and boldness and gentleness and mercy. And may Canby see more people come into the kingdom, into the family, that you might get praise. God, we also pray for our friends at Selwood Baptist Church in, or in Portland, and we ask that you would do the same for them. God, make your name famous there in that, in that city, in that place, so more people might give glory to you and be saved from their sins. God, we pray, we pray for uh, not just our state and our country. We also pray for those unreached people groups. Uh, we especially think of our friends in the Tibetan Plateau that are reaching Zanskar, the Zanskarians, and we ask that you would give them grace to be able to plant seeds of the gospel and that your church might grow. For you have said, the gates of hell cannot prevail against your church. That is, it, is it is advancing, and I pray you do it through our gospel partners there. Pray for success, meaning faithfulness, and planting the seed. And I, and I pray that you would let us see conversions, that your name may be glorified and known. And God, as we think of even 
our own country. We don't want to neglect to pray for those who are our governing authorities. God, we, you have said that they, you have put them in our lives. And I ask that you would help them to rule with, with injustice and in righteousness. May they be surrounded uh, by, by people who seek justice and righteousness. And we pray that this would be good for your world so that you might be glorified. And now, God, we ask that you would not forsake meeting with us. We know you will not. Open your word to us and us to your word. God, because you have said the, the plant withers, the grass fades away, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And so I pray the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock, our redeemer, and our king. Amen. So, uh, this new year, I, well, okay, this is such a bad way to start a sermon. Okay, start it, pause, go back. Okay, uh, in, the, in the movie, Troy, Brad Pitt plays the character Achilles. I'm not recommending that movie. I, I'm just, I don't want to be judged, okay? But I'm not recommending it. There's one line in that that I just wanted to use for it. There's, a, there's an opening scene where the battle lines have been drawn up, and, and Achilles comes in riding his horse in through the, the back of the Trojan army, and, he, and he's the warrior that's going to you know, save the day, and he's going to fight this, uh, this giant of a man on the other side, and, and he comes, and, and he's late to the battle. And uh, the, the Trojan king says, you know, I should have you horsewhipped for your insolence. You didn't come when I called you. you you're doing your own thing. And so Achilles has to be convinced, you know, he, he tells the king, well, why don't you, why don't you go fight the warrior? And uh, he's, he's later convinced to go, he can, save, he can save the men these days by just, by just finishing off this warrior, and, and, then, and then they won't have to battle and lose hundreds of lives that day. And Achilles, as he's going back to fight the warrior, warrior he says, he says, as he passes the king, imagine a king who could fight his own battles. Wouldn't that be a sight? Imagine a king who fights his own battles. Wouldn't that be a sight? Well, Achilles, friend, this morning, there is a king who fights all his own battles. He is the God of the Bible. In the book of Exodus that we've been studying the last several months, the book of Exodus tells us that he is on a campaign. He's on a campaign to make his name known on the earth. So if you want to see it for yourself, this is the sort of the, one of the big themes of the book of Exodus is God making his name known. I encourage you to read through the book of Exodus and mark every time the word known is, is written. And you'll see that God is making himself known on the earth. But it will also show you the, this campaign of God making himself known also shows us that uh, God's heart for his people, God making himself known is good for the world. He conquers people, not like, not like kings did in the past or, or warriors do to make a name for themselves or to, make, or to enslave people. He conquers to do good. He fights 
so that people might be freed from their slavery. God making himself known to those who do not know him is good for the world. Why is it good for the world? Because God is the creator and sovereign ruler over everything. See, the the Bible tells us and we believe that everything that is made came from him. But because of sin, we live in a cursed world and under the judgment of God for our rebellion. This is, that's bad news for the world, right? God is going to judge the world because of our sin. And that's right. But God is coming to make his name known. And when he makes his name known, this, this mission of making his name known is a mission to save sinners and to judge evil. So the king is on a campaign for good. This is good for the world. When, when God shows up, justice happens. So that means evil is put to death. So he makes his, his name known by showing mercy on the one hand to those who bow to him and judgment to those who refuse to bow to him. So the king who fights his own battles, Achilles, you want a king who fights his own battles? Well, here he is. The king who fights his own battles does so that he might be known and do good for the world. He was going to conquer so that the world might have good done toward it. So we must bow to him or be judged. So put the question another way. Here's what we're getting after this morning. Who will be king? That's the question. Who will be king? God or me? Who will be king, God or me? And then what does it mean, friends, to bow to God as king? What does it mean to have God as your king? How would you know if you had God as your king? Well, three points from this sermon. You must listen to his words, believe his signs, and submit to his will. Will God be king or me? Listen to his words, believe his signs, and submit to his will. Is something going on with the projector? Is everything okay? Okay. Uh, Listen to his words. Believe his signs. Submit to his will. We're going to see that from Exodus chapter 7. If you haven't turned there yet, you can turn to Exodus 7. Exodus chapter 7. We'll read verses uh, 1 through 13. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to me, to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 88 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. 
So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summed, summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. This is God's word. So just a, a little bit of context here, a little bit of context. Uh, if you remember, if you remember, the Lord had just shown Moses and Aaron through their genealogy that the power to deliver God's people would not come from them, but from him, the I am. Uh, if you remember last week, we went through the genealogy. And, and one of the things we saw the genealogy is doing, one of the main things, is that the, their family tree is not impressive. It is, they, they're not to be impressed by their genealogy. They were to be impressed by the God who could use their genealogy to do good. Their family tree. But that didn't matter. It didn't matter that their genealogy was unimpressive because God had chosen to make his name known through them. He had chosen to make his name known through the weak and bad and ordinary of this world. And now Moses and Aaron are thrust into the middle of a battle, not between Aaron and Moses and Pharaoh, and not between Israel and Pharaoh, but between God and Satan. Remember, back in Genesis 3, God said there would be uh, there would be a war waging between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And we've seen in, in the past that Pharaoh and Egypt are representing the seed of the serpent. Those who don't want anything to do with God. Those who say, God will not be my king. And the seed of the woman who will eventually crush the head of the serpent. And so this is a battle between Yahweh and Pharaoh. The seed of the serpent. Really, between Yahweh and Satan. So you might ask the question, you know, is this the battle between equal forces? Is this yin and yang? You know, that God is really good and Satan's really evil and they just have to battle it out and see who wins. Do you remember, do you remember this battle actually started in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2? You can just flip back one page. And we read there that uh, afterward, afterward, after, actually after Moses and Aaron brought the signs to the elders of the children of Israel, they believed Moses, they bowed their heads in worship. After that, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go and they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. So Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh and tell him the will of the God of the Hebrews. Let my people go. And, and Pharaoh is sitting in his court, and it's as, he's, as if he's looking at, around at his panoply of gods as Moses and Aaron are talking. And, and he looks at, you know, he looks over here and he sees the sun god and the serpent god and, the, and, and all the other gods that are around him. And he says, who is the Lord? 
who's the Lord that I should obey him? So who will be king? Pharaoh says, not Yahweh. So Yahweh, the king who fights his own battles, is about to show Pharaoh, Egypt, and the children of Israel who is the true king. He's going to make his name known by sending his messengers, by them fulfilling their job through telling the message. So Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh and they speak the words. They, God is going to win this battle through words and signs. Words and signs. So you see in verses 1 and 2 that we are supposed to listen to the message. Well, the message requires a messenger. This is how this is how God brings his battle. He brings it through messengers, through prophets, with his words. God made Moses like a god to Pharaoh. Uh, God made Moses as God's representative. I think that's just what it means. Um, we're, not, we're not to make too much of that, but Pharaoh is now, uh, Moses and Aaron are now in their 80s. They've earned some respect because they come time and time again. And, and Pharaoh is, is, is now hearing them, and, and God has made Moses just, just respectable to Pharaoh, like, like, kind of like one of the gods. And Aaron, his brother, was his prophet. He was just going to speak his words. So the messengers were the means to take the battle to this pretender king, this seed of the serpent. And Moses and Aaron weren't fighting the battle. This was God's battle they are his chosen instrument to bring the terms of the battle to Pharaoh. The terms for his surrender. You know, God is, God is telling him, look, there's no way you can win. Here are the terms of your surrender. Let my people go. Let them go. It is not Moses and Aaron who are fighting the battle. It is not Moses and Aaron who are going to get the glory, but God who is going to get the very glory for this thing. I mean, you know, what, it, what, what is weaker than, than uh, a prophet, honestly, or a preacher? What is, you know, what's more ordinary? A prophet is supposed to say all the words that are given them. They're just supposed to repeat all the words, the message of all the words. And here they are before Pharaoh, repeating this message. Here the messengers, here they are. This is God's chosen method for making himself known. Now, friends, brothers and sisters especially, uh, the, the corollary for us, what this is pointing to for us, I think is that, is that we are God's messengers as well. He has given us words that if it's true that in Exodus, God was making his name known. He's still doing that today, and he chooses messengers to bring his, his message to the people of terms of their surrender, which is bow the knee to God. So, brothers and sisters of the branch, I want to encourage you. The battle is not yours. It belongs to God. But the message is yours to bring. The message is yours to take to our friends, to our loved ones, to those who, even though we love, they're at, at odds with God. We're taking this message and asking them to listen to the word. God's messengers. But in verse 2, we see the messenger's job, I alluded to this a little bit ago, is to speak everything the king commanded, right? 
This is the king who fights his battles, and, and the way he does it is he's bringing this messenger. And the messenger's job, the prophet's job, the preacher's job, the Christian's job is to just say all the words that the king has spoken. To be a true representative of the king, they must speak all the words. So in our evangelism, in our telling people of the good news of the gospel, are, are we holding back any words? Are, are, we, are we holding back any words that say, hey, there is bad news, that we are all sinners. It's worse than we think. We, we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. The Ephesians tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That, that Psalms in the Old Testament tells us that God is angry with the wicked every day, and, and we are that wicked one. We are the wicked ones. So are we holding back the words? Are we holding back any words? It's not just the good news we bring, it's the bad news, and then the good news that people might really think it's good news. They might really believe it's good news. Messengers of, of the king, they say all the words. But it's not just in our evangelism, is it? It's in our, it's in our day-to-day lives, fathers and mothers. As you're discipling your children, are you holding back any of the words? As you, as you speak into the lives of uh, of your brothers and sisters in Christ, your friends, members of this church, are you holding back any words? You don't have to be unkind or unlovely. You don't have to be. You don't have to be forceful. You can just say what God said in the tone God has said it, because it's good for the world. It's good, friends. The the messengers and the messenger is to bring all the words of God. The question is though. What is that message? What's the message? In verses 3 through 5, we see the message and, and the heart of the message. They're right sort of uh, in, in, verse, in, the, in the middle of those verses. We see the heart of the message is that it shall be known that he is Lord. It's going to be known that, that, that Yahweh, the self-existent one, is Lord over all the earth. So everything, everything done here is so that it will be known that God is the one who is in control. God's the one who is sovereign. And that is good. The true, the true king here, friends, is exerting his will. Did you notice it in verses 3 through 5? That he says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to me. And then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring the host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So here, uh, here, here the Lord is doing six things, okay? Now, every one of you wants me to talk about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, don't you? I know you do, <laughs> and I kind of want to talk about it, but it's not, it's not actually the point here. We're, we're going to get to it uh, next week. We have a guest preacher. Matt is going to preach the next week on six of the plagues, and then I'll preach uh, at the last. Matt and I will mention uh, what we think is going on here with hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Basically, 
all I'm going to say is that God says he will harden Pharaoh's heart. He has the priority. And he's doing, but he's, everything he does here, he's doing for one reason. What is it? So he does, he does six things, I think I'm counting it right, six things here. The, the true king is making himself known, and he's exerting his will on the Egyptians by hardening Pharaoh's heart. The king says he will, the king says he will harden the Pharaoh's heart, the king of Egypt's heart, so that his name might be known. It doesn't explain all the hardness of it, but, but it does explain why he's doing it, that his name might be known. This is the second thing he's doing here in verse 4 is so that he can put his power on display. The king, he says, uh, you know, the, the Bible says the king, God, Yahweh, will lay his hand on Egypt. That's a metaphor for, for causing harm, right? You, you know this metaphor. If I catch anyone laying a hand on my family, they'll have to reckon with me, right? Laying a hand on somebody is, is tantamount to causing harm to someone. God is going to lay his hand on the Egyptians. God wants his people to know that they need not fear Pharaoh more than they trust him. And the third thing he's doing is so that he can show his mercy to his people. In verse 4, he's going to bring them out. He's going, to, he's going to draw them out of this land. The fourth thing he's doing is that he can judge evil. Isn't that what you want in this world? For evil, for justice to happen? For evil to be taken care of finally, once and for all? He, he is going to judge evil. In verse 4, he says he's going to bring great acts of judgment. He will punish the slaveholder by stretching out his hand against him. The fifth thing he's doing in verse, in verse uh, 5, uh, so that he might lead his people out of their misery. You remember in chapter 2 when, uh, when God heard the people's cry for help in their misery? He heard, he remembered his covenant, he saw, he knew. This is him again, reaching, reaching out to his people, letting them know, I am going to deliver you out of this misery. I will do it. And then the heart of the message here is that God will make himself known. It will be good for his people and bad for his enemies. But God's salvation brings mercy to those who bow to him and judgment for those who refuse. So it's back to the question, who will be king? Who is going to be king? Our culture tells us that we are the master of our own life. That self determines everything. That, that we are self-determiners. We're masters of our, of our own life. And to tell someone that there's absolute truth is, is to, to hold a position of power. It is wrong. A Christian friend, the only authority we have to speak, to speak all of God's words with humility and love. The only authority we have are those words. They're not our words. We, we speak the truth of the, and the goodness of the God of the Bible with love and humility, knowing that at one time we were enemies of God as well. But we come not on our own authority, but 
another's authority, the king's authority. Friend, who, friend, if you do not follow Christ, please hear his words. Listen to him. He's making himself known. He, he's calling you in this message to respond. Listen to the words. And secondly, in verses 8 through 13, the last half of this passage is to believe the signs. Believe his signs. What, what does it look like for God to be your king? It's to listen to the words and it's to believe the signs. And what's the sign here? Verses 8 through 13. It's kind of, it's kind of cool, right? It's picturesque. It's, a, it's the sign of the snake. That's the, the staff, Aaron's staff be, becoming a serpent. It's a sign given by God to authenticate his message, that he was the true king, the real sovereign. He was making his name known by doing signs, doing this sign. And miracles authenticate the message, right? Jesus did many of them. He was God, and he, he came and he did many miracles and authenticating, though his priority was to preach the word. His miracles authenticate him. The apostles did many miracles, and they were authenticating the, the message that, that God was bringing. So we're not surprised when, he, when God uses miracles today. But, and yet, they seem awful rare, don't they? They seem rare today. Uh, why is that? Well, I, the reason I give, and, and we can have disagreement about that and discussion about this, but because God chose to give the greatest sign, the resurrection, to authenticate his message. There's no greater sign or miracle than that. The sign was especially, but this sign, the sign of the snake, was especially fit for Egypt because of their preoccupation with snakes. So I, I just want us to, to think about, you know, uh, our, our signs and wonders for today. That's up to God. Is, is he going to do a miracle? Of course he can. Is that the, his chosen way to work? Uh, not typically this side of the cross. And it's because of that great sign he gave in the resurrection. But for Egypt, here they, here they are, preoccupied with snakes. You know, the, the, word, uh, the, the word for serpent here uh, actually uh, is also used of sea monsters and crocodiles and leviathan. Probably, probably wasn't a crocodile. It was probably drawing attention to the size of the snake. And, and snakes in Egypt, they, they feared these snakes. Uh, they, they were a fearful thing. Some of them even wore amulets, you know, uh, either around their neck or on their arm or even Pharaoh on his headdress to, uh, of, to ward off the serpent god Apophis, Apophis, I don't know how you say it, who personified evil. And so Pharaoh used the image of the female cobra in a striking pose on his headdress to strike fear into the hearts of his enemies. And the Egyptians feared the serpent because they, they, they revered the serpent because they feared the serpent. And, and this is one way Satan gets people to worship things other than the one true God, Yahweh, is a, is a wrong kind of fear. You know, fear of being poor drives you to spend every waking hour thinking about how you can make money. Fear of being alone drives you every waking hour to think of how you can be in a relationship, 
fear of man, fear of having a bad reputation will drive you every waking hour to see how you can guard your reputation. It'll cause you to lie. It'll cause you to, uh, to, to say things that are not true about yourself. That he takes what they fear the most to consume them, to enslave them. You know, on the other hand, God takes what we fear the most to sh- and shows us how the power over it, how he has power over it, so that, that we will fear and love him. Fear can lead to proper worship. But here are these people, they're, they're enslaved to it. And it has led to a, a sort of a, a worship of this snake. They, 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 they would use it in charms, and, and, and they feared it so much that uh, they, they, would, they thought it was their protection. And so here, Aaron's staff is cast down as a snake, as a serpent. And the thing that they worshiped. But, you know, no big deal, right? Because the magicians can do the same thing. So by their secret arts, right? This, the word is trickery. And we don't know exactly what happened here. Either they, they used, you know, like a magic show like they do in Vegas, or they used a sleight of hand, or, or, or they were snake charmers, and they knew just where to, 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 to touch the snake or how to handle the snake in order for it to act like a, a staff and then, and then throw it on the ground. Uh, and make it a, a snake again. You know, another option is that they did their secret arts, their trickery by the power of Satan. Uh, we don't want to discount that. That they were actually able to, to turn a staff into a snake by Satan's power. Second Thessalonians uh, 2.9 talks, uh, talks about this very thing. The work of Satan is displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles and signs and wonders. And and Paul, talking about the man of lawlessness, he will be able to do these things. They're counterfeit miracles, but that's the point. These magicians were doing counterfeit miracles. Whatever it was, however they did it, it was counterfeit. And now this, this snake that Aaron's rod becomes a serpent, God made it a serpent. It's clear. There's no trickery on God's part. He makes it a serpent. And all of these other rods that the magicians cast down, the rod of God, this stick swallows them up. And right before Moses and Aaron and all, all of Pharaoh's court, it is clear who's going to win this battle. It's Yahweh. Who is the Lord that you should obey him? He just swallowed up the thing you fear the most. He swallowed up your gods. He did this by his power. And guess what? He didn't have to show up himself. He just sent his messengers. They just spoke words. They just listened to God, and Aaron threw it down. And friend, I don't know what you fear the most, but often God uses those and takes those things and, and he, he pushes them out of your life. He pushes you down to think about them so that you will see him as the one who swallows up what you fear the most in victory. He, he's victorious over all of these things. 1 Corinthians 15, 
This is a great passage about the resurrection. This is the thing maybe people fear the most, other than public speaking, right? People fear death only second to public speaking. But this is the one thing people fear the most, it's death. What's going to happen when I die? I don't want to die. I don't want to give up this life. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, the, the Father was satisfied and rose, raised him up from the grave. And Paul talks about it in victory terms. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. The, the, the rod of God who, uh, be, that became a serpent that showed that God has the power over, over even the most powerful man in the world right now. He is the one that came and gave his life for you. He is the one that lived a miserable life here on earth, gave up the glories of heaven to live a perfect life in your place, to die, taking the, taking the fear and the, the anger, the, the punishment for your sins on himself. He was buried. And three days later, he got up from the dead. And Paul says he swallowed death in victory. There is, Pharaoh, there is no way you can compete with Yahweh. Friend, he is a good king who has, offer, who has offered himself in your place. And not even death itself can overcome him. And Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter 2. I should just read it. Is it up there? No, it's not up there. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. God's, the rod of God is doing so many things, but one of the things it's doing is pointing forward to Jesus Christ. And it's saying, will you listen to the words? Will you believe the sign? And will you submit to his will? He disarmed those authorities, those, the, those authorities in your life, those, those things that have you under their control, the slaveholders, the sin. And he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in his cross. Jesus Christ did that. So I don't know what it is for you, Christian or non-Christian. The thing that is enslaving you, the thing that you wake up thinking about. The, the thing that you, you can't get out of your mind. Maybe it was a harm done to you or, or a hurt done to you or, or a hurt you've done to someone else. There is forgiveness in God because Jesus Christ disarmed those authorities. He's disarmed Satan. He's put it to open shame and he's triumphed over it in the cross. And that just leads, lastly, very quickly, to submit to his will. You believe the signs. You listen to the words. You believe the signs. And the last thing is you submit to his will. You see in verses 6 and 7, and at the end of our chapter, there are two different responses here. 
Moses and Aaron's response and Pharaoh's response. How do you know if God is the king of your life? Moses and Aaron, two old dudes, right, in their 80s. Who listens to those guys anymore? They're coming up, and you can imagine them, maybe with a walker, that's how we would imagine them, sort of frail, maybe bent over, I don't know. Here they come up, and they, Moses and Aaron, they did just as the Lord commanded. They did just as the Lord commanded. Isn't it good, friends, brothers and sisters, that God had been patient with them. They didn't automatically do just what the Lord commanded. Moses refused. He made excuses. He said, I can't do it. I won't do it. Choose somebody else. But finally, here they are, submitting to the will of the king, and they do just as the Lord commanded. How do you know if you're listening to the words and believing the signs? You do what the Lord commands. And when you fail, you repent and believe. You, you turn to him over and over again because of what he's done for you in the cross. Believe the signs, brothers and sisters, that he was raised from the grave and he actually triumphed over your enemies in the cross. And he has called you to live a life of faith and repentance. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you're not a Christian and, and you've never repented of your sins and put your faith in him. And I invite you to do that. If you have more questions, I'll be out there later. I would love to talk to you about that. Or talk to the friend you came with. Or, or, or talk to someone you trust that uh, is a Christian about what is this good news? What does it mean to submit myself to the king? I, this, is, this is scary. I don't know what it means to give my life to somebody else. I, uh, can I trust them? You can trust them. You, you can trust him. You can trust his words. You can believe his signs. Friend, he has, he has called us to respond like Moses and Aaron. They're not perfect. They didn't do it perfectly. Obey all the words that he has spoken. And, and Pharaoh, he sees all of this. He sees the very thing that he has been worshiping swallowed up by God's rod. And still his heart was hardened. He would not listen to them. As the Lord had said. I just want to encourage you, friend. The book of Hebrews, it says, do not harden your hearts as in the days of Meribah. In the days of the wilderness, the children of Israel, they were, they were hungry and thirsty. They, they thought God had forsaken them and they hardened their hearts against God. So much so that some of them couldn't enter the promised land. And you might say, well, if God has hardened my heart, how can I respond? If you care about that question, it is likely that your heart is not hardened. The responsibility is to turn to him. Faith and repentance, turn to him. It is good and it will be good for you. God is king. He wants to conquer you so he might do good to you. He, he wants to conquer you so that, that, that you might be what he created you to be, a worshiper of him. So friend, listen to the words. Believe the signs. Submit to his will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. You are good and kind to remind us that you are the king.